0: Everyone, this is Allison Lee, and on today's show, I'll be talking with Mary Buxbaum, a fabulous palmer clay artist, as well as lots of different oh tips and things and new stuff happening here at the Craftcast Studio. So let's get started. Show number one eight five.
1: Starting the day again, oh yeah, letting the sun shine in. Uh oh, I'm gonna dig within myself. Uh oh Life may be never what you think But I think I'll just go with it And create something new
0: Well, hey everyone, welcome back to another podcast here from me, Allison Lee, from the Craftcast Studio. It's been a while since I've done a podcast because I've been busy, busy over at the craftcast.com site. So if you haven't seen that in a while, pop over there. It's all new and fabulous. Uh, you get to have your own um, library, and uh, it works on your phone, works on your iPad. I do admit to watching one of my own videos, Learning Enameling with uh, Angela, Fabulous Class, watching it on my phone with um, my earphones plugged in uh, in sort of a really boring meeting I was in someplace. So (laughs) you're not supposed to do that. But I did, just saying, just admitting to all of you. Uh, So I have a few things to talk about before we get to today's guest, Uh, some books that I love. First one is Creative Metal Forming uh, by Betty Helen Longie and Cynthia Eid, I believe that's how you say her last name, E-I-D, published by uh, Bryn Morgan Press, Tim McRite, love that. If you've ever been following um, Fold Forming, uh, just working as a metalsmith, you'll love this book, big coffee, so- uh, coffee table size book with lots of fabulous pictures, uh, great inspiration. Uh, So go check that out. I have links on the site if you want to click through, make it easy over at Amazon, Uh, as well as Tim's new book that's digital, his The Complete Metalsmith. I mean, this is the best to have it interactive and digital on your iPad. So there's movies to watch. So instead of just reading the description, you watch Tim demonstrate it right there. And then calculators built in as well when you need to figure something out. Um, I am not good figuring stuff out with my own math by hand. So the little calculators are all built right in when you need to figure out how much metal you need for something. So I love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, again, you can get that link over at uh, craftcast.com or just go just go into iBooks or you know, type in um, uh, the Complete Metalsmith digital version. You'll find it. Uh, But I am into apps right now. This is a fun app if you want to play a game, because I love family night games. I really do. We played this one over the holidays, and it's called Heads Up. And if you watch Ellen DeGeneres, you've seen her play it on the show. It's sort of charades, but you hold your iPad or your smartphone over your head so that it says the name, whatever the person has to act out so they see it. You can't. Uh, and then it keeps track electronically and time-wise and all of that. And a warning, do not have me as your partner because I'm not good at it because I laugh too much. So I use up all the time laughing, but I have a really good time. So check that out. The app's called Heads Up. Uh, and then one more little tech bit, cause you know, I'm a geeky kind of gal. Uh, if you haven't seen this already, a Fitbit, Fitbit. Yep. You put it on your wrist and it keeps track of your uh, calories for the day, how many steps you took, you know, how much exercise. It gives you little rewards, uh, little gold stars when you do enough, as well as it tells you how much you sleep. I thought that was really cool. How it does it, I have no idea. I mean, you put it on your wrist and it syncs with your computer and it charges with it. It's ridiculous, but it is so... You know, sometimes it's just the inspiration you need to get started. That's what I find. So that's what I'm using it for. So go check that out. Uh, And so then before we talk to today's guest, Mary, so much fun, I just have a little piece of music for you, something to listen to uh, by Al Lewis, uh, singing Waiting for You. So I hope you all enjoy that. And then come on back and I'll be chatting with Mary Buxbaum.
2: To prove in a sticky situation Words tend not to go I just keep on riding till the ink won't flow Some might say that I'm not quite sane But I don't have a tendency to have much shame So if a like me got a passion for a song All you can hope is someone sings along You might laugh this off Is just another indication That all I'm trying to look for Is a useless explanation For all I try to say
0: This is going to be good today, everyone. listen up. I'm talking to Mary Bucksbaum, a polymer artist. She's a self-taught artist. Uh, she has a company called Merrily Made. I saw her at a craft show recently this summer and fell in love with her work and also her attitude, and I knew so many of you would want to hear what she has to say about being a full-time working artist. Mary, thank you so much for coming on and blabbing with me today.: Well, thank you for having me. So let's first go into what is your art background? Like, where did you start? Did you go to art school?
3: I, did, I do have um, quite an eclectic background in art. I did quite a lot of art when I was in high school. I was, did a lot of ceramics. I went on to regular undergraduate and did, took my regular art classes, elementary design kind of things, did ceramics there as well. And then... Um, I started teaching in elementary school and went back to graduate school and got a master's in applied arts, which wasn't necessarily any one medium, but I did focus in ceramics again, believe it or not, and here I am not a ceramic artist, but that is mostly my background. I love ceramics and and always have since I was a little child. And did you think
0: I'm going to be that's what I am as an artist. You didn't say was that your career choice from the get go?
3: I never thought I was going to be an artist. I thought I was always going to be a teacher. I I went to school Earned my degree to teach. I never thought I was going to teach art. I did end up teaching art for one year. And what happened? Um, but I was an elementary school teacher. I was a school teacher for many years and loved it. But it never, never even dawned on me, even though I, I had an internship in ceramics in college and traveled the world and, and looked at all different kinds of artists in the world of ceramics, it never dawned on me that I would one day have a business that has lasted as long as it has in the art field.
0: Which is how long? I'm going in my 23rd year. Congratulations. Thank you. Well, then how did you make that switch? What made you all of a sudden say, that's it? I'm going to make my living as a, basically I use the term commercial fine artist, commercial artist. Um, What made the switch for you then?
3: I think that it was a a series of steps. I think it was a very, um, it was a very big step. I took the step totally blind. Um, I had started working with polymer, when I was 20 about 21 years old 22 years old and I started making beads when I was teaching and I would sell them to the other teachers Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden I had more beads than I knew what to do with and I started going to small little church shows and just regional bazaars and selling and I was going to graduate school at the same time and my schedule didn't between going to graduate school and teaching sometimes they weren't always um, the best blend and after a year of having sort of conflict in scheduling and things like that I decided well I, I I started making quite a bit of money selling these beads what happens if I go to graduate school full-time and I don't continue teaching and I just start selling jewelry let's see what happens and that's how it happened. so I didn't renew my teaching contract I went to graduate school full time and started selling my jewelry in every place I could think of. And one day I made $1,000 in a day and I said, wow, I could do this. That's fabulous. So that was the, that was
0: the, uh, the, the bell that went off.
3: It was the bell that went off. And it was just it sort of just organically happened taking one step and educating myself and learning everything that there was to learn. And I made a lot of mistakes at the beginning, for sure. But um, tell us some of your you know, mistakes. Trial and error. I love the mistake parts.
0: And we hear the good parts, too. But what was your like, mistake <laughs> that you went? I can't believe I did that.
3: Um, well, first I wasn't a jewelry person here. I was selling jewelry, so (laughs) I didn't really know the terminology or where to find parts. So I made a lot of mistakes in assuming that, oh, I could just find parts easily for the backings and the findings. And well, that wasn't so easy to do. And then I just assumed that companies would want to do business with me. And that's not the case. You have to have a, you, you have to have some sort of, Uh, track record right with working with companies and well I said to them but I don't I'm new how can I have a track record and said, well we're not going to do business with you so it took a long time for anybody just to even answer my calls or answer any of you know any of my desires in terms of you know trying to move forward in some of my design ideas and little by little so I you know being naive I that was probably uh, my largest mistake so to speak yeah, but thank God we have that. Yes, and, and perseverance is really important because somebody's going to open that door for you. You might need to knock on 100 doors and right. ask 100 people. But eventually, by asking lots of questions, you'll get the answers that you need. But it's never going to be the first try. That's for sure.
0: Well, now, did you say to yourself, did you want to also sell wholesale to stores, or were you just interested in selling at craft fairs and direct to the consumer?
3: Well, at the beginning, I knew that there was a wholesale market and I knew that if you were going to sell wholesale, that you had to know what you were doing and I didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) So, (laughs) which I didn't at all, I made a lot of mistakes and, you know, I was making my own jewelry cards and I wasn't using the right findings and, you know, it was trial and error trying to make a product that was going to stand up. So, at the very beginning, there's a lot of trial and error and as I began to perfect Um, my jewelry and my pieces, I realized that there was a marketplace for my products. So I tried to find where I thought would be the right place. And that's when I started investigating in the wholesale markets. And so um, I designed a product to go to wholesale market and then started not just selling at craft fairs, but then going to the wholesale markets and selling directly to the stores as well. And what was your first product that you did that with? I did that with jewelry. I did it with some very simple earrings and some pins. I had a whole line of pins. This was years ago when pins were really popular. Mm -hmm. Pins were one of my most popular things other than earrings. Earrings are always very popular. People loved my my little calico patterned uh, pins, and I thought, oh, I was going to sell a million of them Mm -hmm. the first time I went to a show. Mm -hmm. That didn't happen on my first wholesale show. Mm -hmm. I didn't sell a 1000000 Mm-hmm. But I sold enough to go to the next one. Mm-hmm. And were you making all your own product always? I have always made my, all my own product. You have. And for 23 years, I am always the one who makes my product. I have had staff um, that has helped me, whether it's assembling or packaging or labeling. They have done things like that. They've done computer data in- entry information, mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. But in terms of making the product, I have always made my product 100%.
0: Now I saw, which I loved your products and your, I know you're known for your patterns and your caning. And one of the things I loved about seeing your work was that I didn't say, oh, look, it's polymer clay. I just went, oh, I love those pens. I love that look. I mean, I was just immediately drawn to that. Now, thank you. You're welcome. Um, Now, was it Always your, was that your passion, your artistic voice? Was it always in that type of detail in the small patterns, et cetera, and experimenting in that?
3: I have always loved patterns. So that is certainly something. Pattern and color are the two big things that I have always been in love with in terms of how to have a voice and how to express. And even Mm. when I was doing ceramics, I did a lot, I made my, a lot lot of my own stamps and I made a lot of patterning, um, as decorative means. So patterns are everywhere in this world. And for me, I just see them everywhere I go. So for me to reproduce patterns and repetitious, um, motifs is just, it's just awesome. I love it. And just, and I do it in a monochromatic way that's very pleasing and soft and, you know, they're mesmerizing patterns that people are very drawn to. They're strong geometric patterns, but at the same time, they're not garish. They're, they're things that you want to inter, you know, interact with.
0: Oh, absolutely. And your color palette too, makes you just want to go right towards them. Now, when did you add in, I know you had these beautiful pens and pens you can use on your iPad. Was that something that you just were trying to expand your market and you thought like, how did that come
3: about? That came about a couple of years ago. I started making the pens actually as a treat for my regular jewelry customers. I would always make, around the holiday time, I would always make one special item that was different than what I would make all year round. Mm -hmm. And my regular jewelry customers would come and they would see what that special item was that I was selling. So I started selling the pens years ago and it evolved. So when I brought the pens to the market, um, people loved them immediately. But I also knew that the pen market and technology were moving f- forward, not necessarily congruently. Mm-hmm. So I knew that styluses as well as pens were something that could be integrated somehow together. Mm-hmm. And that's when the pen, uh, the pen stylus uh, sort of took birth. And it's one of my top-selling items, so it's not only just a pen, but it's a stylus as well, and people love the dual functioning of that.
0: Oh yeah, well, it's a great idea. That type of thing, and still bringing craft and homemade into the feeling of that.
3: Yeah, and fun- and being something that's functional on a regular basis, something right. that you can use. Yeah, every day.
0: Yeah, no, I love it. Now let's talk reality for people because you support yourself. I mean, your career is support's the wrong word, but you are a full-time artist, and Let's sort of, for people who are thinking about that's what they want, let's just disclose the underside of that, what it's really about. What, break down the amount of time like you spend in a week for actually making art and doing the business of art and what that looks like.
3: Well, it's definitely seasonal for me, the breakdown, but if I had to think about it, you know, if if I, you know, Um kept track of things. I think that I make about um I make about thirty five percent of the time. And then the rest of the time is really uh business things, it's ordering supplies, it's packing orders out, talking to galleries, designing new products, doing my research, um designing booths, going to the photographer, doing layouts for catalogs. All that kind of stuff, doing press releases, applying to shows. It's really, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes, not just making your product or my product, just say. I would love to sit and make my product the whole time and not do it. Someone else could do all that other stuff. So
0: I guess, could you say that in a work week, you might spend one day a week? Let's say you have a five-day work week, if that was possible. And uh, one day a week would be maybe making, actually sitting there and creating or even less? Than
3: um, that. I, I, w- I would certainly say it's more than one day a week. Okay. Um, and it, so it's hard to look at the work week as a five day because I, know. It's at, because I do work more than five days a week. Right. Um, that's the first but thing that's important. It's, it's sometimes very hard. There are periods of times where I am literally doing nothing but making pens from the moment I wake up until I can't go anymore. But then there'll be maybe two or three weeks where I won't make a pen at all because I'm doing all this other kind of work. Right. So, I um you know, right now I'm making pens like three times a week right now. Right, cuz um, getting ready for a holiday season. I'm assuming. getting ready for holidays and yeah. things like that th- three three times a week and then the other two days are doing business things and packing orders. Right, right. Yeah.
0: Um would you say that then flexibility is very important in being what would be the being a full-time artist, what would be some of the characteristics you think are most important to take on that kind of career?
3: I definitely think you need to be flexible. Um, you, you, there's, I think that you have to be tolerant of so many different types of situations that come your way. Yeah. Sometimes you're going to be doing the same thing over and over again, so you you have to be tolerant of the the fact that there's going to be a monotonous. Um, procedures that you just have to do in order to, you know, move forward or fill orders. Um, and things are very erratic. Um, so your schedule is constantly going to be changing. I love that because I never get bored. So right. things are always different. Um, but certainly knowing that ahead of time that there's never any consistency in the schedule, even if you try and say, okay, on Monday, I'm only going to do paperwork and something and nothing else. Well, it's good in theory, but it never, it never works that way for me. Right. Um, I would definitely say something like that is important. Also the fact, um, being aware, um, we're so isolated as artists and, Mm -hmm. and, and having a network outside of your little studio world is very important and, and keeping, um, a pulse on the market is so important. So it's not just, you know, you're in studio time, but it's, what the market is as asking for and pricing and, and, and really being aware of what's going on outside your little world.
0: And how do you do that? Because I think that's true, too. I mean, do you ever find yourself going, oh, it's three days, I haven't been outside yet? Mm-hmm. That happens people. on a regular basis.
3: Yeah. Or I say, oh, the only person I've seen for the last week is, is uh, the post office, yeah. the post people. Um, I I get on the phone. I call other artists. Um, I go online. I look at different things that are happening, even if they don't pertain to my form of artwork. I'm always looking at what other people are doing. I I search on other people's websites that I like that I've come across. Mm-hmm. Um, it's. I just for me though that's sort of my eyes out there in the world, um even if I go somewhere on the weekend for fun, if I go into another gallery or I go someplace I pick someone up's business card or write someone 's name an artist down, and then during the week, I might do a little bit of research to see where they're where they're coming from or what their website looks like mm-hmm. or or where they sell their work, so really just constantly. Keeping my eyes open and constantly keeping track of what's going on around me, even though it's my own world. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Now, are you good at giving yourself, I don't call it downtime, I like to call it uptime. Are you good at giving yourself that kind of break? Because I think that's one of the things as artists, it's difficult to say, okay, I need some time off.
3: I, I think I have a pretty good balance of that. I you do. do. Okay. I think that it's really important that, you know, you're not always working. Um, my brain is always going, but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that I'm always making. Um, mm-hmm. But I do have big hobbies i'm a really big perennial gardener so i'm Mm. often out in the garden the other night i was out there with my headlamp clipping my plants down i know it was seven o'clock at night but i was like oh that's gonna be my time and so i'm out there in the dark clipping things down um i'm a big whitewater kayaker so as often as i can get out i get out and go kayaking i'll be going kayaking this weekend with my friends i know it'll be 40 degrees but i'm going nonetheless Wow. So we'll go off and we'll have fun doing it. So it's, it is important and it's important not to be talking about work all the time. To, yeah. to leave the studio physically and mentally, close the door and go off and do something that has nothing to do with your art world. It's, it's really important. You, you got to have that, I call it um, the brain drain is what I call it. Just to have that downtime, uptime.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's the only way to get refreshed. Yep, True. Very Especially true. doing something physical.
3: I love it. So both both of those hobbies I love. I mean, I love to cook too. So I think it's really important to have things outside of the studio that you love to do that, you know, allow you a new outlet or a different kind of outlet than what you do during, you know, your work day. You're working, you know? Yeah, yeah.
0: But I think most important, especially working as an artist, you, you have to be willing, I think, to be face fear of the unknown. You're certainly not, it's not like, um, you can have it set up so that you do know a year's worth of work and what might happen and all of that after you've been in business for a while. But I also think that self-discipline is really important.
3: It is. And in terms of what you just said, you can set it up so that you have work ahead of, you know, uh, ahead of time. Right. Ultimately, that, that's the goal. Right and all the crafters that, we, that I talk to, we all sort of kind of giggle. We are gamblers. We're terrible gamblers. <laughs> That's what we call ourselves, the ultimate optimists. because we go out, and we're, we hope that when we take our goods out there, that, you know, we put our, our best foot forward, just like you gamble, you know, you put your best foot yeah. forward, you put yeah. your money on the table, you put your product out there yeah. with the hope that you're going to get the reward in return. And there's so many factors, just like any gambler, there's so many factors to what's going to make something work. And, and the fact that we're so optimistic, even though we've all been crushed a hundred times, we still go out there with the hope that this time is going to be the good time. This is the time that we're going to, you know, get more work or we're going to have a successful weekend or whatever it might be. But we know that hope is always out there and the possibility to have success on a regular basis is there. It's just finding that right combination on a regular basis. So it's fluid. Yes,
0: the fluidity would be good. I think that's also, don't you think it's in the artist DNA? That's why it's not for everyone because it is the perpetual just, you know, um happy gene. It's it's, you know, it's not for everyone.
3: It's certainly not for every everyone and there're going to be a lot of highs and a lot of lows as I say, well, this week we'll be eating a lot of rice and beans and right. next week it, you might do right. better. So I think it's a balance of knowing that you know when you have your high highs you know celebrate them fantastically right, and yep. squirrel away the success that you've had because I guarantee you next week you know it's you're going to be right back to a place that isn't so successful and you're going to need that as we say the good juju to get you to the to the next place. So it is really volatile and especially in this marketplace today whether you're doing wholesale or retail things are so volatile customers are coming from so many different places they have so many different needs and there is no magic answer to satisfy any individual that comes to you to buy something and so you just you, you put your best foot forward you make a product that you stand behind that you have passion for and you hope as well as educate yourself that you're making the right thing and pricing it the right right way that it's going to find the correct homes, so to speak. You know, it's going to find the right customer.
0: I think that's all key. You have to be passionate. You have to have some education and, uh, and then put it out there. It's, it's all of the above. And then you have to be fearless and just go for it.
3: You do. And and you have to say, when someone is standing in my booth and they say, Oh my goodness, you want that Mm. for that? Mm. Who's going to buy something for that price? Mm. And you can't take that personally. It's, it's no, you can't, It's how no. they're reflecting. And so you have to be at some level thick-skinned and know that your product isn't going to be for everybody. And that's okay. You just pull up your bootstraps. You smile and say thank you. And in your mind, you're like, next. And your next will come because somebody will buy. Yeah.
0: Well, I also think that um, you get great feed. Well, my son used to say, some people are crazy. You don't pay any attention to them, which always made me laugh. But some people, you get the negative has a lot of good feedback too. You just have to really look at it and mm-hmm. discern it without being emotionally attached to it. Yeah. And that's yep. what's key.
3: And know that if the idea that you've brought to the table, so to speak, if it's not successful, you're creative, you can make something different. And so being so attached to one product or being so attached to one idea isn't always the healthiest way to approach your artwork and knowing that, well, if this, whatever it is that you're making at the moment, it doesn't work. Well, maybe you could make something else. And one of my friends always says to me, that's one of the greatest attributes they think I have is that I can literally fall on my face and have a, just bring a new product to marketplace and it be horrible and walk away from the show going, well, I'll just think of something else. Yeah. And they're like, well, why aren't you falling to pieces? I said, because I know what I make is good. I just didn't make the right thing for the right, at the right time. I'll think of something new.
0: Yeah. And you do. That's a great way to look at it. And I also think that... you can't sell people what you want to sell them necessarily, but you have to sell them what they want to buy too. So there is a few ways of looking at it, but as long as you can remain unemotional about it all and turn it into a business, I think that's also key. Keep the emotions Re- and in remember,
3: this is a, And remember, this is a business and sometimes you have to do things that right. you, don't, you don't love to do or sometimes you need to make a product. That still has things that are are about you as an artist, but maybe the end product isn't ultimately what, you know, you want to be making at this exact moment. There are steps and progressions to everything. Maybe you need to make a small widget before you can make a big widget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you can make that small widget fabulously and know that you're aiming towards the big widget. Maybe it's going to take you two or three years to get there. Yeah. But still celebrate the small widget. That's great. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm a big yeah. I'm a big fan of, in celebrating the um, the wins and taking that yeah. time to say no I met my goal I'm going to enjoy the the whole evening <laughs> enjoying <laughs> saying that over and over again to myself so yeah. I and think it is really it, important it is definitely well when you go to and do your wholesale shows how many do you do a year or your shows in general combined let's say trade shows whether it's fairs or trade shows are you on the road how
3: many times a year are you on the road. Um, I would say about 15, 15, times a year. And some of those, the, the wholesale shows are longer and retail shows tend to be a bit shorter. Mm-hmm. So about 50, 15, times I'll be going about 15 times, sometimes more, sometimes less. And that's a big Depends commitment. Depends on the year right and what my financial needs are.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a big commitment there to be going on the road. That's like saying, you know, one and point something times a month.
3: Yes. Yes. And when I come back from wholesale, it's usually there's a a huge uh, responsibility of of work after. So the wholesales usually take up a huge amount of time, usually wholesales in the winter time. And so I'm normally working pretty much straight almost seven days a week from the beginning of, of sort of right before Christmas all the way through to uh, the end of February, it's usually seven days a week right there. Right. Um, so preparing, going to the shows, coming back, doing all the paperwork that's involved with it. And right. So it's very intense. It's not just time out of the studio, but the intensity to get yourself to wholesale is is really big. It is. As a single artist. When you have more support, it's different. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a lot. It's packing
0: it all up, taking it all on the road. Now. Yes. What is there something that you're working on now? Do you give yourself some time for future thought and designing new ideas?
3: My future thought is 24-7. I'm constantly thinking of are, new okay. ideas and thinking of, I think that what, I, what I'm thinking of right now is how can I make my products that I have right now more successful in the marketplace in terms of I get the feedback what customers say and or what they don't say mm-hmm. and how can I make my product more successful because when people buy it and use it they love it so mm-hmm. how can I get more people get attracted to it right. to make it a more successful purchase so I'm always thinking you know how can I reach more people and and how do you do that and I'm not a person that knows all about advertising mm-hmm, and packaging and I, I try and I work very hard on that but reaching out to different people to help me with that is something that I'm consistently working on mm-hmm. and right now that's where I'm at I'm trying to find somebody who can help me make my product have a bigger voice on the on the market shelf basically you know on a store shelf and so that's how sales are made when people go into stores they look at products and they they buy them based upon what they look like or their impact or packaging there's so many factors that go into it so right. that's what i'm working at so right. that when a customer goes into the store they're getting a little bit of me right. when they buy it right yeah. right
0: there's a lot today especially keeping up do you spend a lot of time doing social media work on your product
3: I try. I'm not the best at computers. I do mm, okay. try. Um, I do have Merrily Made on Facebook and people are responding. <laughs> okay. I had a post recently with over a thousand responses for that. So that was very exciting. Congratulations. That was my first time. Good for you. Uh, so uh, I, do, um, I do try to do social media. I have a blog on my website that's not a daily blog, but big, big milestones for the business. I do blog on the website for that. And that's all new for me. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that's all things that take time out of my every yeah. day. Yeah. So I try to have a balance between all of these things. Um, but I think it's important to reach out through social media. It's just trying to find what's important to my customer as well as finding the balance time to do it at the same time.
0: Yeah, it is all about that balance. One
3: balance. last thing I wanted,
0: though, because you had mentioned this when, when I met you at the fair, and I thought this was really great, was your approach, and I know you teach sometimes, but that you really work with very few tools, and your product is gorgeous, and it's beautifully finished, and it's just top-notch, and you are not big into, you know, everything, all the top-end tools. You basically work very simply, Correct.
3: Correct, I do. I, I basically have a blade, my hands, um, I use a very simple rolling pin, um, and I do have um, a motor on my posture machine to help me roll sheets out, but basically those are the only tools that I use on a regular basis to make my patterns. So I, I, I'm not into the fanciest, newest widget and gadget right. and tool. Um, I think they're great. I, there's some really fun things out there. But for what I do and how I process in my mind how to make a pattern and how I want my end product to be, I, it's all for me, my brain, and my hands.
0: I love that. But wait, do you buy widgets for cooking? Do you buy tools for cooking and things? Is there some place mm-hmm. that you get into the gadgets, or are you just a uh, bottom simple? approach I'm kind pretty of
3: simple are, I'm though. not I'm not huge into I'm not huge into gadgets I do like things if something that's going to make my life simpler and it's a pragmatic tool that would be very helpful I have that like I have a great blender so okay. I make smoothies every day okay, so instead right. of having a lower end I really have purchased a really good one for me to use right, so I right, think right. that's Makes sense in terms of a gadget. Right. But no, I don't, I'm not, I don't think I'm really into all of the gadgets. I think they're cool, but I know when a lot of times you buy them, you just never use them. Yes.
0: Well, it's seductive, especially for people who are hobbyists and crafts. There's always, you know, it's all the bling and it attracts us. And it's like, oh, I have to have that if I'm going to make that. But the truth of the matter is, that's not true. (laughs)
3: True. And sometimes they are very helpful. I mean, I have gone to workshops and I've taught and I've seen, that's where I've seen most of all these tools and gadgets because I go and I see what everybody else has in their toolbox. I just come in with a little bag and everybody has all these things on wheels with all these compartments and all this stuff. And I'm like, wow, what do we have? And I'm always going through everybody else's boxes. to see what they have. And most of it, I don't even know what it is because I've never seen it before. And they show me, I'm like, wow, that's the coolest thing. I would never know how to use it or when to use it, but I'm like, wow, that's really cool. And um, so I think that, you know, you're, like you said, they, sometimes they are really fun to have and there is an application for them depending on, you know, what you're doing. And sometimes as a hobbyist, it is fun. It is it's kind fun, of yeah. like going on vacation and getting a new outfit. Yeah, you know, you yeah, want something yeah. fun and different. Exactly. And, and as hobbyists, if we're going to go take a class and we're going to do something special and different, we want that It's kind of fun.
0: It is fun. Well, I want everyone to be inspired to Google you. It's under Merrily Made. And take a Correct. look at your, your polymer and your patterns. Because if you're thinking about, oh, no, wait, I need the next tool to try something with polymer. I'm talking about myself. Just take a look at what Mary makes because, <laughs> and she doesn't use any of those things. You'll be very impressed. So, well, I just want to thank you for spending some time chatting with me and giving a little behind the scenes of what it's like to live, live the life as an artist that so many people want to do. Well, thank you for having me. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed my little talk with Mary. Uh, She's great. Go check out her website, and um, you can get the links for all of that over at craftcast.com, as well as if you're listening on the Craftcast app, make sure and listen to the bonus uh, file where Mary tells um, the top thing to know before showing up at your first craft fair She gives you a few really important things that you really want to write down on your list to remember to do. Uh, Learn from other people's mistakes, is what I say. So go ahead. If you don't have the app, you can go buy that in the uh, iTunes store where all the bonus material awaits for you. Great, great advice from people in the know. So check that out. Uh, And on today's little ET, entertaining thoughts section of the show, I just have a quote that I'm now building a class around that I want to share with you, which is, uh, don't quit your daydream. You know, I've been thinking about what kind of class I wanted to teach next at the craftcast.com site. And I realize that's really what's up with so many people. They keep sitting there with their daydream and they haven't made it real yet. And they're wondering how to take that first step. So that's going to be coming up in March. So if That sounds something that's up your alley. Uh, You can drop me an email, Allison at Craftcast.com. So you want to make sure you're on the list of information for that. Don't quit your daydream. Very important, I think. So there you go. That's all the stuff happening here this week at the Craftcast Studio. Uh, You know, you can always get me, Allison at Craftcast.com, or just come on over to Craftcast.com where you can send emails at supportcraftcast.com. All easy. There's even a phone number there you can call in if you'd like check that all out and you know what I have to say until next time get your butt in the chair and keep crafting
1: just get yourself right into your chair come on listen you can learn to create something new it starts inside you